This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the To Hull and Back podcast, sponsored by uh, Old Zoological Bar and Kingfisher Fish and Chips. Um, it's my first opposition preview. Obviously, usually Nathaniel does these ones. Um, he's busy today, so I'm going to be joined by um, What the Fork podcast. Um, very clever play on words. I like it. Very. Um, we, we get a lot of praise for our podcast title, but, but yours is one of my favourites too. So, how are you, mate? Are you all right? Believe it or not, I'm 37 and I'm still coming up with terrible puns. I like fart jokes as well, believe it or not. Um, yeah, mate, I'm not too bad. Um, standard week. Everything's gone mad in Sunderland world over the last 12 hours with Amad Diallo, Yanam Via. Like, we literally spoke yesterday and I could tell mm. you another three things. Um, no one's interested, but my basketball team's also gone mad. So it's been a busy a busy 24 hours, but enjoyable. That's what we do it for, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, um, there might be some people in, in, interested in the old in the old basketball team. Um, feel free to. What basketball team is it? I'm a Raptors fan, Toronto Raptors okay. fan, which means that you know, of course, they're terrible. In the same way that Sunderland have been for the majority of my life, I just seem to be blessed with a curse. Uh, which okay, <laughs> to be fair, it is what it is, mate. Uh, it's the pain of following a football team is what keeps us doing it. Um, so let's let, let's dive into Sunderland season because obviously we we actually played each other fairly recently. Like like I said on your channel yesterday, it was only Boxing Day. Um, obviously we went down to a one nil defeat and didn't play particularly well that day. Probably one of our worst home performances of the season. Um, but we'll we'll do obviously more of a dive into Sunderland now and what we can expect on Friday if it's going to be a different kind of challenge. But um, just give us a summary of like Sunderland season so far because obviously we had a couple of managerial changes. We'll get into that, but sum up. That you obviously a point above uh, outside. Uh, no, you're level on points for the playoffs, aren't you? So it, obviously going well. Uh, no, um, but then it sounds weird. It's, it's odd, like when you throw like the the stats and where we are in the league and stuff like that. I can completely understand why some fans think, or like outside of of Sunderland, think that why are Sunderland fans unhappy at the moment, but. 
it's a good two-hour podcast, which we we almost did at the weekend, but I'll try and give you the short bullet-pointed version of our season so far. So I think in many ways we achieved beyond what we expected last season. Um, I started the season saying if we finish 11th, brilliant, and we finish 6th. And it's the first time we've lost in the playoffs and I've kind of gone, oh, well, you know, we had a good goal there, fair enough. Um, so things were kind of like bright and shiny and wonderful. Um, everyone absolutely loved Tony Mowbray. Everyone more or less still does, to be honest with you, because really nice fella that completely gets the area, real character, um, hilarious in a granddad style sort of way. And he had us playing the best football we've played in, I mean, probably in my lifetime, if I'm honest with you. Bear in mind that obviously it's not in the Premier League, but the style and the way it worked was lovely, I think. People would have seen loads of the goals that we scored last season. One of them against Hull, I think it was our fourth one, where we just went from back to front with like one touch passing. That was a regular thing. So you come to the next season and the pressure adds on a little bit. And the, the big thing was that we still didn't have Ross Stewart, who ended up going, as close as we know, and is still injured at Southampton. But we lost Ahmad Diallo, which I think, based on the 4-4 game we had last year, you'll know what he brought to us. I don't have to explain that too much. So... That was quite big and Sunderland remit as a club is that we bring in young players um, under the age of 24, give or take, and try and make them better and then sell them or get the team better, whichever it may be. Um, this season, at the start, we started relatively well. Um, kind of never really went that bad, but our away form, it was like every single game was we dominate possession. We'd have about 17 shots, 10 of them on target, 71% possession, and then draw nil-nil, like I beat 2-0. And it was just... Sounds familiar. Yeah. I mean, you you explained what was happening with Hull last night, and it really felt like that. And then we'd sort of pick up random wins at home against Norwich, Birmingham teams that... And we'd score three goals, and you were like, okay. Bellingham looked really good to start the season. Uh, Jack Clark's absolutely on fire. But none of our strikers were scoring, and gradually we stopped picking any strikers. We sent four, I think, in the summer. Um, and it kind of got to a point where, with Mowbray, people started going, has he sort of reached that ceiling? Nobody got angry with him. like. But I think we drew 1-1 away with Millwall, and we were bloody lucky to get the draw. Like, And Millwall are not, not that good this season, to be honest, um, from what I've seen. And we were really lucky to come out with the draw. And we asked the question on our podcast, you know, is it the time to move on? And we kind of said yes, if I'm honest with you. I'm not going to be a revisionist on that uh, because it felt like we needed something to take the next step and maybe match the model that Sunderland had. And, and Mowbray was really struggling to have a plan B. If the fancy sort of just have a go at them lads thing doesn't work, we didn't win. Um, and we got nicked 1-0 and we didn't seem to have a plan of how to play any other way. Anyways, it was. I didn't expect him to go and he got sacked on the Monday. And we all thought, okay, that's sad. We like Tony Mowbray. That's maybe the right decision, though. We get linked to Will Still. We get linked to all these good European young managers. And we get Michael Beale. <laughs> and that was yeah, talk, talk to me about Michael Beale. Because obviously, from the outside perspective, of, well, from me personally, like obviously Tony Mowbray did a fantastic job last season. Obviously, he came in because Alex Neil decided to leave you guys to go to Stoke for some bizarre reason. Um, and then obviously Moby did really well first season back in the championship after promotion you know he spent a few years in League One it gets you into the top six playoffs obviously you don't go through in the playoffs and get end up getting promoted but finishing in the top six in your first season back is 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 really hard to do especially in recent years so everyone from the outside you know seeing Moby's done you know a really good job and this season like you say you, you're in the peripherals of the playoffs you were doing fairly well 
Um, so going getting rid of Moby was a surprise to people, but like you say there, you kind of expected it and maybe he'd taken you as far as you could go. But then obviously you bring in Beal um, and I think it's fair to say it's not gone down too well. So so what is the reason behind that? I'm really interested to know. Is it just because he, he isn't the kind of pedigree you expected or just doesn't fit the model, like you say? I, I think... Like I said before, at the start of the episode, I'm 37, 38 this year. The successful managers at Sunderland that have done really well have been, um, off the top of my head, Sam Allardyce, Peter Reid, Roy Keane, um, Tony Mowbray, Alex Neal, and to a lesser extent, apart from when we eventually promoted Mick McCarthy. Um, and a lot of those managers have had very similar... I mean, you could list off those managers and understand where I'm coming at without me having to say it. Um, the ones that haven't done very well have been like... Lee Johnson, uh, not for me anyway, and people along of that ilk. But I think when Mowbray went, we discussed at length on our podcast, and I think a lot of people in their own homes and, and in the WhatsApp groups would have discussed, you know, what was next for Sunderland. And we all expected something that matched the model, like something young, European, something that had a plan B and could continue to build on the really good work that Tony Mowbray had done. I don't think we expected someone who'd been booted out of Rangers after 10 months and kind of left QPR in a really bad way. Um, and it just felt really underwhelming in many, many ways. But to be fair, I mean, I, I openly, I live in Glasgow. A lot of my family are Rangers fans, so you can imagine how I felt. It was mm. like renting a really nice flat, but not really like a housemate and moving out and then going to get another one. And you find that the same housemate's living in the cupboard. Like, it's just a bit of a shock. Um, mm. I was I was maybe... A, a bit more shocked because I've seen what he'd done at Rangers and it wasn't great. And I don't like... Um, everyone knew how Alex Neal left and what kind of sour taste that left in our mouths. For me, Michael Beale, the way he left QPR was less integrity than the way Alex Neal left us. Um, but there was a lot of people that said, come on, give him a chance. He started off quite well at QPR. Um, Rangers is a really difficult job and I agree with that. You, you, don't, you don't have a middle ground at Rangers. You win or you lose. You'd finished first or you finished last. That's it. Um, so I guess in a way we started going, okay, here's a bit of a chance. Um, performance at home was really good. His first game against Coventry was absolutely shambolic, like awful. People were chanting for Tony Mowbray. It felt really toxic. Um, and gradually as the weeks have gone by though, like the good thing about the performance at home, and we touched on it last night on, on my podcast, we sort of, tactically outdone Rosinha, who's a really good, highly rated young coach, um, which was a real sort of positive for him because he'd, he'd outthought one of the, in my opinion, better managers in the league. And you thought, well, hang on a minute. That's not bad. And it was a really good response to that really bad performance against Coventry. Then we were really, really bad at Rotherham, but you could say, you know, two or three games in a couple of days, that's going to be difficult. And then we played uh, Preston on New Year's Day and it was another really good performance where we went 2-0 before half-time, striker scored, lo and behold, um, and we sort of sat back and rested second half without any problems from Preston, to be honest, to a decent enough side. Um, so you think, well, hang on, it might be working out all right, this, but like over the past few weeks, combined with a million different things, it put you away... The debacle that was the Newcastle derby, which I'm sure we'll get onto in a bit more depth outside mm. of Beale, but he's he's just for me for me, and I can only really speak for me, but he just sucks the life out of me. Absolutely sucks the life out of me. I mean he's um Jake Humphrey, 
in a manager's job. And I kind of get mm. on with that. I just can't just get away don't, with it. Just don't give the fans any any form of inspiration or a, a, any kind of no. I don't know, optimism for the future kind of manager, something like I that. I don't like high-performance middle management jargon bollocks. And most Sunderland fans don't, much like Hull fans probably don't. We kind of like someone who you know says what they think and and thinks what they say. Um, and maybe I'm, maybe he's on a bit of a hiding to nothing, to be honest. To be completely blunt, he's maybe on a hiding to nothing. But it just feels like the time we appointed Phil Parkinson, you knew it was never going to work out and you were just waiting for it to ride out. Um, but I really hope he turns it around. I'm sure he's not a bad person. I'm sure he's probably trying his very best to get the team working. But the Newcastle performance was really poor and the Ipswich performance, really poor. And his... I didn't like that he came out afterwards in the press conference and one of our boys missed an open goal and then give away a free kick that he didn't need to give away that conceded the winner for us and that lost us the game. But he's 20, 21, like all of our players are. And he threw him under the bus a little bit by saying you know, it was kind of his fault without saying it directly. And I didn't like that either because I've seen him do it at Rangers as well. And I don't know if maybe I've turned a bit quicker because I've seen what he was like at Rangers and I've got family who are Rangers. Um. But he's not a Sunderland manager for me or a Sunderland head coach. But I really hope that he wins on Friday and things turn around. And I hope that people point this back to me and go, oh, you're an idiot, Graham. He's done really well. I just get the feeling I won't be wrong with it. Mm. I mean, um, I've got a comment here from Sunderland fan, actually. So, um, as a Sunderland fan, Graham speaks well when speaking about Beale. I really wish it, and it was a long shot, but I would have loved Liam Rosinia. I mean, um, the... Or, or a manager, obviously. I, I, I imagine a manager of a similar mould, young, hungry, you know, enthusiastic, plays football the right way kind of thing. Um, but I, I, I want to ask you, Graeme, that do you think perhaps that Sunderland's club model is maybe the issue rather than the manager? Because like you say, the whole fiasco with Newcastle, like you'd, you'd kind of lost the derby off the pitch before the game had even begin, uh, begun, obviously, with putting the, 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 the Newcastle fans in the home end for starters and then and then obviously decorating the whole area in, in Newcastle stuff. I feel that's just that you just do not do that. Um, but for me, like, like, like I said to you on your pod yesterday, Sunderland have like a, a, an essential club model, and correct me if I'm wrong, where you want to bring in young players um, that have got obviously potential and resale value, but um, it's, it's more or less like a director of football model that they bring in the transfers rather than the manager, and the manager is just like the head coach. So he has to deal with the players that they've brought in. So do you think maybe that the model needs to change a bit or, or maybe just be a bit more lenient and give the manager more control rather than obviously the managers being seen as the issue? I'm okay with the recruitment team um, doing the signings and the head coach slash manager just doing the coaching. I'm kind of okay with that bit because, to be honest with you, um, they've got a lot of things wrong and there's a lot of anger at the moment because of what we're missing, for one, um, and what's happened off the pitch with the Newcastle game, which I don't think is going to be forgot anytime soon. But I'm okay with the recruitment model in the way that the people who buy the players, because there's been some really good signings that have come from that. Um, Patrick Roberts, Jack Clark... Dan Ballard, uh, Dennis Sergan, when he's fit, um, Adji Alessi. Uh, there's a lot of good players that have come from that. And I'd say they've got it right 75, maybe more percent of the time. So I'm okay with it. Where my issue lies is that, and I made this analogy the other day. Um, so my job is I'm a journalist. And when I first went in there, I was, I've been a journalist for three years, wet behind the ears when I first went in didn't understand the hustle and all that kind of stuff. 
but I had some really experienced, wily journalists around me that I've ended up being really good friends with and rely on for advice and know I can go to when there's something I haven't come across before. If you put me in that office with a load of other sort of young journalists that's their first job and we keep making mistakes, eventually we've got no one to turn to and that's the problem some of them have. We don't have experience. In the summer, we saw Danny Bart, who's our player of the year, he's 33, Lyndon Gooch, who bleeds red and white, still bleeds red and white, because um, he's gone to Stoke. Um, mm. And he was at something since he was 11. He's 27, 28. Um, Corey Evans isn't fit. He's been injured for a year now. Ross Stewart was 27, 28. He's obviously gone as well. He wouldn't have been able to play anywhere, but he has gone. Like our team across the board, like Dan Neal's one of the most experienced players, and I think he's 22, but it's because he's played 100 games. Um, we don't have anyone to turn to. Um, there's not an. Ex- I wish the model would change where the spine was experienced. I look at the the team that won the playoff final. Sunderland don't win finals at Wembley up until that day. Um, and I look at the spine. The spine that day. So you had Anthony Patterson, young goalkeeper in goal, first real season that season. But then in the back, you had Lyndon Gooch at right back. You had Bailey Wright and Danny Bart, two men that I would go I would go to war with, to be honest with you, um, and trusted wholeheartedly. Not the most talented of footballers. You know, Bailey Wright was he's playing in Singapore at the moment. Um, he's had a good career, but you know, maybe wasn't championship player or championship standard anymore, but someone you could rely on. Corey Evans in midfield, Alex Pritchard is your number 10, and then Ross Stewart is your, your main striker. So right through that spine, you've got experience. And you know what was weird? The likes of Jack Clark came on the sub, Dennis Serkin was great that day. Um the midfield was excellent that day, but it was all anchored by this like experience that was like Wembley. Come on, let's do it. Let's go for it. Players that had been at Wembley or something before and failed, Luke O'Neill, um, Lyndon Gooch. When I watch Sunderland, I'm like, it makes me want to put a head through like a window sometimes because I'm like, we're so close to getting it right because we've got so many good young talented players. Just give them a hand. So I'm okay with who signs the players. I just wish we would sign players with a bit more experience that would give these young players that are extremely talented a bit of experience and a bit of an arm on the shoulder and be like, this is how it works. This is what I'll do. Yeah, I've got um, the same Sunderland fan said, though. Obviously, the model isn't the issue. The the model took us from the darkest period in my time. Uh, we need a manager that understands these players uh, make mistakes, but rather than throw them uh, under the bus. I mean, I, I suppose like what you're saying is, is obviously the model works, but every now and again ensure that these young players are helped and, and sort of guided by experienced heads on the pitch because, like you say, maybe throughout an entire 46-game championship season, relying on a very, very young... So I think Sunderland have got one of, if not the youngest average age. It's um, Swansea. We're about 21.3 or something. It's us Swansea. Yeah. So, you know, when it, when it comes down to, you know, how, how players deal with mentality and the, the running and making mistakes and things like that, obviously young players are going to struggle to, to recover more or less. And then if you've got those experience sets in there to try and keep them on track, try and reinvigorate them because they've been there, done that. Like you say, it, it, it can kind of work. But I think my, my, my point was more, I, I I don't like a model where the manager isn't in charge of the players he brings in. Because I, I personally think if all the people are signing the players, I mean, I imagine he's got a say in, in, in it gives them a list of names and he's like, you know, these are the kind of players we want to bring in because I, I can't understand why somebody else would bring players in and then just be expected, that manager then expected to, to get the best out of them because they might not have even been the players he'd have gone for. The interview that they had when he got appointed, they kind of alluded, they used this word aligned an awful lot, which has become like a dirty word. Because mm. um, he's already starting to make 
notices in the press after games that he kind of thinks he might need an actual striker, um, which I wholeheartedly agree with him. But if he's aligned, then, you know, how can you suddenly change your mind in four or five weeks? Um, but I think I'm okay because of the, the success we've had with the players that the recruitment team's brought in. I think I'm actually comfortable, which I normally wouldn't be. I'd normally be of your thinking with, I want the manager to sign players that he's that he wants so he can build his team. Um which is, I suppose, an old-school approach, if you prefer. I think it's a kind of common-sense one in many ways. But because of the success that we've had with this recruitment model, I'll give them the credit that they have in the bank and say, okay, continue with that because it kind of works. I just wish they would tweak it a little bit. I'm not even asking them to overhaul it, rip the carpet up. Just bring in someone who's 28 and can hold the ball in midfield. Um, 25, I talked about Baptiste from Brentford the other day. Um you know, player that's out of contract at the end of the season, not really playing for Brentford, 25, not really been there and done it, but he's 25, he's not 12. Um, and I think, you know, we've been missing, Corey Evans is a bigger bit, bigger miss than people realise. He's been out for a year. Uh, we discussed Daniel yesterday, I think by far our best player, by an absolute country mile. Um, and the boy next to him, Equa, is really good on his day, but he's been struggling the past couple of months. But for me, you want to bring somebody in that can sit behind them and just pass it sideways and backwards and recycle possession like a Corey Evans. And those two are going to flourish because they're both wonderful footballers, um, Daniel especially. And there seems to be a reluctance on, we won't just go and buy someone who's 27, 30. Um, I, I just feel like when you have players like that in the dressing room, it just builds stuff. You need experience in the dressing room, man. Like You can't just get by with... A, a, a little bit of experience and you know Pritchard's still there and he's vitally important to us and you Sunderland fan will tell you how good he's been this season how important he's been but there's always murmurs that we're trying to get rid of him and it seems to me it's because he's nearing 30 which is just mental mm. yeah I mean um, I've got a comment here uh, it happened at Hull with Adjun and the Shotter era Adjun brought in the players if he was trying to play fantasy Turkish football but they want what Shotter brought in and he had to wait with what he's given I mean I think that it's not been confirmed. Obviously, Schotter, um didn't have a say in them, but it is largely believed from the amount of players we brought in and, and the fact that, you know, it was a lot of players from leagues abroad rather than championship experienced players. And we had a lot of injuries. It's probably because those players weren't ready for the physicality of this league, things like that. But I think the important part of, of that era for me, and, and this comes down to what I said about, like, obviously, Sunderland's club model where the manager doesn't really have a say in it it didn't work. Like we brought in a lot of players and it was clear that a lot of the players didn't make sense to be brought in at that point. And um, because it didn't work, our owner has changed it. So I think that's what you're trying to get at is obviously you could, your model's kind of working, but you need it to change a little bit. Whereas that's what we've done. We've gone, you know, do you know what? No, that wasn't the way to do it. We're going to try and bring in, you know, really high profile players that are going to boost the, you know, the credibility of the club and, and, and try and get us to a good place. But in a way that, you know, we're trying to, be more domestic based with the transfers we brought in. Like I think, especially since Rosini has come in, I think he's probably taken the job on the basis of he will have vast majority of the control of the transfers. And then Adjun will just work his PR champ to try and bring in these players, i.e. your Jaden Philogene, your Fabio Cavallio. You know, our own is very persuasive in, the, in that sense. So it, it, it's, it's good that now we've got that model that kind of works for us, because like we said, they're, they're again, they're young players that have got, you know, massive sell on value. I mean, Jaden Philogene, for example, we signed for 5 million. He's got a fifteen million pound release clause for Villa if we're in the same league, um, so that's instantly a ten million pound, um, you know, uh, profit if, if if they bought him in the summer, for example. Um, so it's 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 a model that, like you say, um, is working for you at the guys at the moment. 
on that topic, let's get on to transfers then as well, because there's a comment here from Sunderland fan as well. What does Graham think about the links with Mvia and Moore? Uh, personally, I believe they would allow others to develop at their own pace. I mean, what what are Sunderland wanting or needing uh, this transfer window? Because you've got fantastic players, i.e. your Jack Clark, your Patrick Roberts, um, Dan Ballard, Dan Neal, big fan of. Um, but like you say, you, you signed four strikers, you don't seem to be using them. Um, I think Bellingham is used more in that role. So why, why have you brought in four, tr- four strikers not to use them? And what do you need this window? I wish I knew the answer to that one. But do you know what we need? A striker. Um, we need someone... Look. My belief is that with Ahmad and the way we played last year, if Ross Stewart was fit the whole season, or even if Ellis Sims had been fit for... Oh, not been fit, sorry, for Haddam. So for the second half of the season, we would have went up. Um, we Tony Mubra did exceptionally well to get what he could out of it. But those games that we maybe could have won, I mean, we ended up that second game against Luton with like Lyndon Gooch at centre-half and a back three. And like Diallo running as best he can to get around people. And ever since Stuart's been injured, <clears throat> I love Ross Stewart. I can't get around a podcast without mentioning his name. But um, ever since he's been injured and then Ellis Sims has been sent back, we haven't really had a striker. And Hamia's come in, he's 18. He looks, oh man, I wouldn't eat him if he was chicken. Do you know what I mean? He's raw as hell. <laughs> um, and then you've got Rusin, who I've actually liked. He's the one striker that scored a goal. Um, randomly dropped last week against Ipswich after scoring against um, Preston, the league game before that, playing against Newcastle. Don't really get that one. Uh, brought him on with two minutes to go, which is kind of one of my grievances with Michael Beale. Um, outside of that, you've got Mayenda that spent the best part of three months injured and then came on and looks like a slightly less raw version of Hamir, um, but a bit faster. And then your other striker is Mason Burstow, who... I mean, God, um, I don't really know what Burstow is, to be honest. And, and I'm, sure, I'm sure in time he'll be all right. And he's had like sporadic parts when he's been okay. But like, if you put them four strikers and you put a Kiefer Moore, championship ready centre forward that's played in World Cups for Wales, battering Ram, um, been around the block a bit, but isn't like an aging, ancient man, I think that's a perfect signing. But there's rumours going around that Bournemouth are waiting to sell him and we're just waiting to see if we can get him on loan. Just sign him. Just sign him. Like, we need him. Just sign him. Um, we desperately need a defensive midfielder for me because Daniel and Equa are asked to do too much defensive work when that's not really the game. Let them flourish. Is it? Is it Yan? Is it Veer that you had before? Is that who yeah. you linked with then? Yes. Do, um, do you think he would come to the to the championship? Yeah, he, he said in an interview recently that he's been linked to a lot of teams in um, like the second tier of France Liga I think, or League 2 if you prefer Um, and he said he wouldn't want to drop to that level the only team he would do that for is Sunderland but like Jan and Veer has flirted with Sunderland for the best part of a decade Um, and we flirted back quite a lot we should have signed him years ago Like Mm. going back to when we didn't sign him the first time around and we signed bloody Didier and Dong instead for 13, 14 million and turned down Jan and Veer for 5 is just a long list of like idiocies that Sunderland hierarchies have, have came up with, but um, and Vila would be, and, and I think a lot of people will listen and go, Oh, is that not nostalgic? Actually, it would be a great idea. Like, what we're missing is a, a guy that'll sit in the middle of Corey Evans type. Like, if Corey Evans was fit, I'd be like, Oh, well, okay, him and Jan can you know go between each other, but we need someone desperately to sit and just allow Daniel and Equa to flourish because they're both for me 
for me, Ekwa's better further forward. For me, Daniel's great all across the the um the middle of the pitch, but I want him on the front foot, like dictating play from the front. Um because I think that's what he can do. But for me, I think Mvia's indicated he would come. How much is he going to cost in wages? We also have I don't think we pay anything more than sixteen thousand, which is why Ross Stewart eventually went because we wouldn't match his well, it's not that we wouldn't match what he wanted. I don't think we were prepared Southampton offered more. Yeah, I don't think we were even prepared to go close. I mean, I better stay quiet on this one because I know more than I should. But um, <laughs> I think we indicated that we wouldn't match anywhere near what he's worth. And then you look at Jack Clark, and I believe Clark's on under 20 grand. If he goes to the Premier League, how much is he going to get? Um, mm. So then Jan and Vila is going to want what, a bag of chips, Pringles and 10K maybe. Um <laughs> If he can live on that, okay. But yeah, that's another thing with the model. Wages are, um, we want to be sustainable. It doesn't everyone. Um, and I think it would depend on the wage one be there. But he's indicated he wants to come back. And look, if he came back, it's been a rough six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and Viva signing would be a decent enough beginning to start to repair that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got a few comments to run through. So we've got uh, every team needs a classic number nine uh, this day and age. A lot of teams now play with inverted wingers, false nines. It's true, to be fair. Um, the inside forward, um, you know, the inverted winger, whichever way you mm-hmm. want to pronounce it, you know, they, they, we tend to go down that way. Because I feel like football goes through um, phases almost, like where um, a, a manager comes in and does something brand new. Um, with one team and it, it works and then it catches on and everybody else kind of follows it like a domino effect. So I think like the three at the back became massive a few years ago and now that's kind of phasing out and we're doing the inverted wingers. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the goal scoring forwards now as well uh, are quite rare because I think it's really hard to get a, a striker because, you know, there's a lot of pressure on strikers to score goals. But in order to bring in a striker that will score you goals, you have to spend a lot of money. And a lot of teams nowadays, especially at this league, can't do that. That's why so, you want to knack it as well, isn't it? Because if you only want yeah. to get younger players and you want to get them at a good fee, you're kind of taking a risk on anyone that's young because anyone who can score 15 goals in the championship, you're going, well, hang on a minute. I mean, we sold an injured Ross Stewart in the last year of his contract for the best part of 10 million. And he'd had 10 games in the championship and scored mm. what eight, nine goals. And he's worth 10 million at that point. Yeah, I, I think he's great, but I'm biased. I think he's worth it. But there's teams across the board that, like, for example, Philogene, if he is to go, you're going to be expecting 15 mil minimum. Alex Scott going for 25, and that's a midfielder. A goal-scoring championship striker is going to cost you big cash. Yeah. You certainly won't spend it. Especially for a striker that you, you're more or less going to be guaranteed double figures from, um, especially in the championship, because it can literally be... The, the difference between staying down or going up. So they, they usually know and they can charge you a fortune for goal-scoring strikers. Um, I've got another couple of comments here from some, a few Sunderland fans in the chat tonight. Hi, guys. Uh, so, hi, lads. We are desperate for Mvia and a striker. Plus, now it looks like we need a full-back. I mean, join the queue. We've needed a left-back for the best part of the year. Um, that's probably our biggest issue at the minute is we put all, like I said to you yesterday, we, we literally put all our eggs in Ruben Vinagra's basket um, thinking he'd be fit this season and be our left-back. And... It's just been another one that's made of glass. Um, we didn't really get another backup to him. We signed young James Fairlong from Brighton. He's not really had a look in. He played last night. He did okay. Got an assist, actually. But, you know, we're, we're full-back is, is, is a real problem issue for a lot of teams. So I feel like we're all competing for similar players. Um, I mean, there's a few mentioning Luke Thomas as well. We've got loads. We've got loads of left-backs. They're just all made of glass. <laughs> just like mm. yours. Um, yeah. Dennis Serkin is an unbelievable footballer, but 
look, I, I hope he gets fit, but he can't. Niall Huggins came in and for me, alongside Daniel, was probably our player of the year. Huggins had been out for two years with numerous issues. And then, lo and behold, in the last five minutes of the Coventry game, he does his ACL, MCL, and all sorts of stuff, and he's out going to be out for God knows how long, the poor bugger. Um, and then Alessi was out for seven months. He's recently came back, and since we spoke last night, he got injured in training last night. So oh. don't really have any left-backs. Um, but for me, the first person I'd be looking at, he's not playing on a regular basis. He was by far the best left-back in the division last year. I've heard Luke Thomas mentioned. Go and ask Luton a question about um, Ryan Giles. I feel, I feel like there's a lot of teams. I, pr- I would imagine the entire championship is on alert about um, Ryan Giles. I mean, he's he was absolutely fantastic for Borough last season. I mean, you look at how how well they did and, and the players that sort of spared them on to that. Um, and, and the problem they had at the start of the season was their best players were kind of on loan last season and they struggled to to replace them kind of thing. And Giles is one of those, obviously. And I feel like it's mad that he's not playing at Luton. Um you know, because they signed him obviously in the summer after getting promoted, and you're thinking, you know, he's gonna he's, he's gonna contribute for him, but he really hasn't. So yeah, I think every championship club would absolutely take him. I mean, join the queue. We're probably. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. After him as well. <laughs> I think a lot of people will be after him, but no, it's, it's, it's going to be a mad transfer window. I mean, in terms of outgoings then, because I think probably the big question, I think you know what's coming. Do you think you'll keep hold of a certain Mr. Clark and, and can you sell him before tomorrow? <laughs> no to the second one. Um... I think we can hang on to him till the summer. I don't think you can hang on to him past that. Um, Do you think he'd be tempted, though? Because I think the, the biggest problem in championship is, for, like you say, for, for our teams in, in terms of, like, we've got obviously wage caps and things like that. If a Premier League team, say Brentford or a West Ham, comes in and says, is 20 to 30 million, um, puts a big contract offer on the table for him, instant Premier League football in January, Rather than wait until summer, do you think? Do you think he'd go? Because I, in in recent history, I mean, we've seen it. Bowen, Keane Lewis, Potter, except uh, players similar, other teams tend to will jump at that chance. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm thinking the same about Somerville at Leeds. If someone came in for him and offered him Premier League right here, right now, and obviously a lot more money, do you think realistically he's going to take it, or do you think he will see out the rest of the season? I think if we accepted a bid at any point, then he would go. Um, not because I don't think Jack Clark's not happy, but like, football is your career. And I think I think if West Ham are interested, I think you're knackered. I think if Brentford are interested, you're potentially knackered. Burnley pushing from doesn't make sense to me because... Because they might any, be back down in next season. Yeah. Any footballer in the right mind can go, well, mm, yeah, I'll, I'll maybe get better wages, but there's a chance that I might be back down in the championship and stuck here for a bit longer. So, 
Um, and I like Burnley as a football club. It's no offence to them, but they're in a precarious position. Um, oh, God, he's a tough one. For, for me, I think we know... I mean, how many reports have we seen where there's been an impasse on his contract situation? The kid scored like double figures from midfield before January, basically. If you're not going to break the wage structure at that point, you're not going to break it. Um, so I think it's in their mind that at some point they want to sell him. I think what might work in our favour with Clarkey at the minute is the fact that, as you alluded to before, which is a long conversation, but I think everyone's seen the pictures, the hierarchy you have, can I swear on this? Yeah, absolutely. Really fucking pissed us off. Um, <laughs> like really, really pissed us off. Like uh, for me, and only my opinion, completely unfigurable what they did. If they were to then go and sell Jack Clark for 20 million, then you're losing season ticket holders. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Astro, yeah that's it. That That's basically it. So I think that keeps us... I think that keeps Clark... Unless someone goes there's 25 mil, then oh, how do you say no to that? Yeah, it's tough. Isn't it? I mean, we we had the same with King Lewis Potter. I think our owner turned around and said he'd he'd reject any bid that came in for him um, because we wanted him to stay. But at the end of the day, Lewis Potter turned around to him. I think his agent had a lot to play with it, but it, he turned around and said, I want to go to be a Premier League player right now. And when he's then said, I don't want to be here, we've gone, okay, then we'll accept what we think you're worth and got a big, I think it was 16 million with add-ons that got beyond 20 or something like that. So I think at the end of the day, if the player expresses a desire to leave, then you've not really got much hope, have you? But like you say, if it's a big offer, sometimes the board can't really say no, because realistically, is, is if you don't go up this this year, you would sell him yeah. for less in summer. It's worth yeah. more in January halfway through the season. Isn't he? So they've got that question there. Um, I think for us in our playoff hopes, we'd kind of like to see him go this January. Sorry to say that to you. <laughs> Especially with Philogene yeah. coming back in a couple of weeks. It's true, though. Like, if, if Clark, you went, like, you might as well... You know, unless you're bringing an Ahmed, which I got, I would literally... I think I would sell my soul to re-sign Ahmed. Um, Do you think he's and, coming back? Because I know, I know there's been some reports that Borough are really, really strong in for him. But... Um, well, he came out I get the night. impression that if Sunderland did come in for him, he'd probably be like, no, I'd rather go there. Well, I don't know if it's a real message or not. Apparently it is. Um, he spoke to someone last night on Twitter DM and then ironically straight afterwards, his official page posted a photo of him in a Sunderland shirt with a blown mm. kisses emoji. He's basically indicated that if he does come back to the championship, that there's only one club he'd come back to. And I mean, the love affair with us two is big, but I think... Samuel Luckers from the Manchester Evening News, um, reliable, very good journalist. He said that United want to hang on to him. But, like, I don't think Man United should do that. If there's any Man United hierarchy listening, I think what Ahmad really needs is six months back at Wearside. Um, <laughs> just, you know, get fit again. Um, you don't need to keep him. You can have him next year. You don't need him right now. Just send him back home. Honestly, I think there's a chance of him going on loan. I think we've got a really good chance because I think he wants to be here. Some players like myself, are mental and they just love this football club. Um, and I'm as one of them, but I, th- I think he's got a future at Man United. He's a tremendous footballer. Mm. I'd like to hope that we've at least inquired. Um, I mean, we, 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 we're we desperate for wingers at the minute. We've got Philogene, obviously, who's outstanding, but has been injured for the best part of a month now. And and our only other natural winger is Lakilo's. Um, before before yeah, last night's game where he scored, um, oh, he's he, yeah. done like 19 games without any any form of goal contribution. So, you know, if, if you push him for the top six, you realistically need a winger with more end product. We, we've got a, a history of playing square pegs in round holes. We like to play 
centre midfielders out, out wide, i.e. your Scott Twines and the Dama Traores, uh, and it just doesn't work the same. So we do need natural wingers, um, whether, whether or not um, we could we could work a similar kind of magic we did with Cavallio and convince Diallo to come here. Because I think if we if we could have a, an attacking midfield of Philogene, um, Fabio Cavallio and Ahmad, I think um, we'd, we'd probably be nailed on for top six. But realistically, the, ch- the challenge from other sides is going to be really difficult. Um, but yeah, let's get on to um, obviously Friday night then. Um, like you say, we, we, we lost 1-0 to you guys last time out and I think it was a really poor performance from us. Um, as we alluded to on your pod and, you, and yourself earlier, I think Beal sort of deployed a, a kind of tactic that maybe Rosinia had not seen um, this season, where because we like to play out from the back, um, you know, build it out from the defence, short passing, um, teams tend to try and press us to make a mistake, which we are prone to. It does work quite often. Um, but Sunderland didn't do that. Um, Sunderland kind of just sat your front four basically across the halfway line to prevent us from getting the ball beyond our midfielder. Uh, and, and we really struggled to get out of our half and create any chances. And then Sunderland hit with uh, the, the, the pace that you do on the wings and, and really caused us issues. So do you, do you think, um, are you still optimistic for Friday night? Do you think you could repeat it? Um, I mean, we're quite a depleted side at the minute. I've got not really any confidence going into this one. Um, what are Sunderland fans expecting? <laughs> what are they expecting? Jeez. Um, I'm not confident, but it's just the mood around the club at the minute. Um, if Jan and Vila signs tomorrow, then the mood might lift a little bit. Mm. Like, you're wrongly. We once signed Jermaine Defoe at 38 years of age and then got beat off Doncaster, so it can also have that effect as well. <laughs> um, I think Hull are a good side, and... You know, I know you're in a bad run of form, one win and six, but there's a chance that Philogene's back. That's a bit of a pain in the arse. For I us. don't think he is. I think um, Rosini was on the radio yesterday saying he's not back, which um, we, we've not got a game next week, I think, because of the cup. Um, so mm-hmm. by the time the next game comes around, he's back for that, but he's not back for Friday, unfortunately, for us. Okay, slightly more positive. Um, <laughs> we're actually not bad at home this season. Like last year, we were absolutely quality away. Rubbish at home. Well, not rubbish, but mm. not as good as it should have been. This season is total opposite way around. Like the win at Hull, I think that's our only win away since like September. Um, I don't know how he's going to play it because there's obviously Rosinia's not going to be like, oh, I bet he doesn't do that again. But there's also like a bit more of an impetus on us to have a bit of a goal. Like with all due respect to Hull, if we sit back against Hull at home, there's a problem. Like mm. you know better than us, and we're probably no better than you at the minute. We're probably on a level par. Both want to go for the same thing, but you can't sit back in a home game. You just can't. Um, mm. So then, does that which is which is actually or... which is actually funny because if you did that, we'd actually struggle more because <laughs> that's we struggle against teams that sit back and, and we 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 don't have the creativity yeah, really to break a low block. So we want teams to come on to us so we can counter them. So if you did sit back, it'd probably be okay. But like you say, home sides aren't going to do that, yeah? especially not <sighs> with um, how the fans are at the minute. <laughs> Beal would be uh, you've got to have a good wait for him. Um, which means that if we have a goal, does that play more into your hands? Um, we're, we're quite similar. Like a lot of people said after listening to our podcast last night, um, oh God, I thought that the whole lad was speaking about Sunderland because the problems are identical. Mm. Like we can dominate games, but we've got bugger all up front. Um, if Jack Clark doesn't score, we don't win. Just like the game when we played each other. We will have a goal at home. I think we've got to. Um, I don't know who's going to play at left back. So it's going to be an issue of left back because if Alessi's injured, I think you played Trey Hume there, which means he's a right footer playing the left hand side. Then you're bringing in 
a centre half at right back who's got no pace. Very good, but he's very slow. Um, Jensen see what that is. He was actually really good down at Hull, to be fair. Um, but he is slow. He's not exactly like an overlapping marauding right back because he's a centre back that's six foot five with not much pace. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I'd prefer to move Luka nine to right back and bring him in a defence. But um, I think it's a tough game, mate, because like people are not happy at the minute, and for the, all the rights, all the wrongs of it, no matter where you swing, the atmosphere is not really bouncing at the minute. Not, not really, if I'm honest with you. Like, there's people. Do you think are, a point? Do you think a point would do? Or do you think that would still be quite unacceptable? I think we need to win. Mm. I'm not saying for the context of the season a draw against Hull would be a bad thing. Far from it. Um, because we're both around the same sort of place. I think we've seen what you sort of do. The results you've got this season, the results we've got this season. In the context of the season, a draw is not going to kill us. But we need three points. Like I, I don't think it cures everything. Um, you know, that's a good point. Pembele could play there as well. Um, I don't think, I don't think that not winning destroys the season. It's not a must-win, but you know when things just feel really crap around a football club, and you just think, well, would a win fix it? It wouldn't fix it, no, but it would lift a bit of the doom and gloom, and then you get a week off because we're at the FA Cup as well. Um, and then you bring in Amvia, Kiefer Moore, get a couple of signings in, and then all of a sudden you start to come out with that sort of crap a bit and yeah look I'm not going to forget what happened with the Newcastle debacle I can't forget that I just can't um, and I'll be going on about that till I'm grain old and there'll be people on if podcasts are still a thing then saying Graham shut up it was 50 years ago get over it <laughs> I, I, I can't forgive it but some people you know what helps you forget about bad things happening at a football club winning games there was a few off field issues last year but because we were good on the pitch we kind of went okay because that's kind of why we watch the football. Um, so I think we need to win for that context. I think if you get a draw, you're just dragging on this whole, oh, Beale's not the right man, or oh, the hierarchy is this. And, if and a loss it, would be disastrous, I'd imagine. Yeah, it wouldn't be great. It wouldn't be great. If, if, do you reckon if we get an early goal, say something to hold on to, which is what I'm kind of hoping happens, um, that, that the stadium might, the atmosphere might turn to a point of toxic that, plays into our hands, obviously, with, with the fans' feelings about Beal at the minute. If they, if, if they go 1-0 down in the first half, then, you know, the fans might make it a bit harder for him kind of thing. It happened against Coventry. Like, and to be fair, like, the, the fan base was definitely more against the idea of Beal as manager. But then by the time the Coventry game came around, there was a really good, strong smattering of people singing Michael Beal's Red and White Army. Like, like he's here. Let's get on with it. Let's support him. And, and I think a lot of fans do feel that way and think, I don't agree with it in X, Y and Z, but he's here. We've got to go for it. Then you concede and we still kept going. And then we conceded the second and it was just like, oh, for God's sake. Like, <laughs> there comes a point when like, and I think sometimes people do that thing, don't they, where they say you should support the team no matter what. But I think sometimes when you care so much and you see what's in front of your eyes is crap and you know it's crap, it's quite easy to get frustrated. So, for me, yeah, you get a 1-0. I think I said you'd win 2-1 yesterday. The more I've thought about it, especially if Philogene's not got a chance of playing, the more I've thought about it, I can see he's getting an early lead. It being a bit of a crap game and us sneaking one back at the end because Clark, he's the best player in the league. Um, and then you go, oh, well, at least we fought back our character, yada, yada, yada. But in reality, you know, it's crap. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. been like a lucky escape. 
that's kind of how I see it going. But um, hey, I've been wrong many times. I just really <laughs> hope that there needs to be some light there in the tunnel somewhere because even though we're seventh, it sounds like I'm speaking like we're 17th, but the things off the pitch can affect things that happen on the pitch so badly. And I think there'll be a few fans who are not a Sunderland persuasion listening going, aren't they seventh? Like he's won two of the first five or something. Oh, come on, he's been a bit dramatic. I think anyone who's seen what happened with the Black Cats bar and the Derby game, and then if you imagine that happened to you as your rivals, and then there's things that other people don't know too much about. There's been warning signs with the the hierarchy and the model and the things that go with it. It was the tip of the iceberg. Um, and things that happen off the pitch always will affect what happens on mm. the pitch. And that's where Sunderland are at the moment. Um, I, I assume you're on, on about, obviously, the Newcastle um, game, I think. I'm fuming about that, by the way. I'm still absolutely fizzing about <laughs> I can it. can imagine. Three weeks on. From a neutral fan, I couldn't believe that it was actually happening. So I can't imagine how bad you guys felt. But, I mean, your first derby in, in God knows how many years, um, you give them, obviously, what was it, six, 7,000 tickets or something in the home end? And then basically roll the black and white carpet out for him and, and, and try and decorate the room and, and give him like sort of some, some sort of nice warm welcome. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, you just don't do that, do you? You just don't. I, I mean, I, it is. I mean, I, I, it, like you say, if it was us that had done it, to, you, you know, one of the local ones that says Scunny Grimsby or even Leeds Chef Wednesday, somebody like that, it's, yeah, nah, it, you'd never, never ever lived that down, I don't think. Um I don't think I, I still can't believe it happened. It seemed more like a joke, but no, it's it's, it's crazy, crazy. Especially the kind of owners that you had to welcome inside of that um, stadium. I know they're fit and proper, as the Premier League would tell you. Um, mm. But there's an article on the Athletic if you want to see what kind of owners that they may or may not be. That will help you understand what kind of owners we sort of, um, for want of a better word, bent over backwards for. And yeah, uh, yeah for me, embarrassing, humiliating. I, I'm really struggling with it. Um, and I think it's affecting a lot of what's happening on the pitch. Yeah. No, I, I, I can't believe that happened. Um, right, so uh, because, geez, we've nearly been on for an hour, Graham. I, I, um, talk, I talk a lot, mate. I told you this. You said 20 <laughs> minutes. I was like, never. I yeah, never do a conversation do. in 20 minutes. Hey, hey, people have enjoyed it. We've had a consistent number of viewers all the way through, so it must have been good. Um, I'll, I'll ask you, obviously, a couple of things on, from your view owners as well. Obviously, um, is there any players, I mean, we've not got many fit, but is, are there any players at the minute that you kind of, you know, worried about facing? Is there any players that you feel like Sunderland needs to be identifying and nullifying? Um, quite interesting always to see a, 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 what other fans think of the current side. Do you know who I really always liked? Now, you can tell me what he was like because he's been there a few years, but I, when he was at um, Rangers, I always thought he was quite decent up here, Greg Doherty. Mm. I also thought Greg Doherty had something about him. I know he doesn't play on a regular basis for you. Um, but he's always quite impressed me when I've I've seen him sporadically. He didn't obviously do much when um, he was at the... I don't think he even played, did he? Did he play a come on as a substitute, if I remember correctly? In the, he might have come on as a sub, yeah. It's kind of been his role at the minute. Like, I've always been quite impressed with him, but I'm aware he's maybe not jumped up to the championship level the way you might have wanted him to. The thing is with Doc is, is, is you'll never, ever fault his work rate. He's one of those players who will is reliable in terms of he'll go on the pitch and he'll work 110% for the full 90 minutes when he's on the pitch. I think he's just been a victim of how we've progressed um, yeah. in terms of quality on the pitch. Um, he was great for us in League One. He's great for us in the first couple of years in the Championship. And then as 
the caliber of player has improved in the squad. Obviously, after the takeover, he's kind of been left behind in the pecking order, and it's it's a shame because, like you say, we we all really like him, and and I kind of would like to have seen him gone go this month either on loan or to a permanent club where he can actually play because um, I kind of don't like the fact that he's sat not really doing anything with us. I feel really tight because he's such a great guy. But yeah, he's, he's not the kind of player that we need to have in the squad, unfortunately, when you've got the likes of Seri, Traore, um, Fabio Cavallio, now Regan Slater. It's just he's, he's, he's not going to get a look in, unfortunately. And more often than not, he's actually brought on the wing, um, which is our winger problem at the minute. So, But yeah, no, he's, he's, I love Docky and I think a lot of the fans do. Um, but there was a comment, uh, um, someone mentioned Seri, he is at the African Cup of Nations, so he won't be playing, so don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> he's another one you'd have to face. Too fanfic, because he was the boy who scored a cup against us last year in that 4-4, wasn't he? And he was like, he didn't do anything, it just was a bit of a pain in the arse and scored goals. Mm-hmm. And I kind of prefer him not to have done that at that point. Yeah, too fan, um, he's one of those players who you kind of never have a middle game with him. He's either one of the best players mm-hmm. on the pitch or he's an absolute passenger. Um, he's he's had he's in a, he's in a bit of good goal scoring form this season. I think goal scoring's never really been his problem. You know, if he gets in and around the box, he's a danger to anybody. Yeah. Um, we just need to see it on a consistent basis, game by game. Which, to be fair, at the minute after coming back from his injury, we're seeing a lot more work from him off the ball. He's doing a lot of running. He's doing a lot of Harry and pressing. Um, we're seeing a, a better version of two fans. So I think that the more games he gets played at the minute, um, especially now that you know with the injuries and players that are missing at the minute, he he will most likely play. Um, in the middle, I would imagine in the number ten, and Cavallio and um, somebody else will be on the wing. Um, but no, yeah, he's 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 probably our current top scorer of players that are fit. I think he's got seven goals. So yeah, Cavallio's another one. I think Cavallio's again when we touched on the likes of Diallo and um, Ryan Giles, the kind of player where I think the whole entire championship would have wanted them. Um, I'm pleased Dapp's not fit. He impressed me last year um, when he was at Preston. Although he did miss an absolute sitter on the final day of the season, but mm. he's got something about him. I think we touched on it last night. His finishing's maybe what lets him down. And I know he didn't progress as much as maybe Brighton fans would have wanted him to, but Connolly was always, well, he, he had a good start, didn't he, at Brighton and sort of scoring goals in that division. And then kind of gradually that changed for him. And he's ended up at Hall where he scored a couple, but maybe not as frequent as you would have liked him to. Um, he's actually our top scorer. Is he? He's on eight goals. And he, 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 for the majority of the season at the beginning, he was actually a bench player. And he think he had the best minutes to goal ratio in the league because he, he'd usually come on when... I think our, our, our start of the season tactics was, yeah, Philogene, Delaps, your players like that would have yeah. just ran the defence ragged. And then we bring Connolly on um, for the last you know, 10, 15 minutes to run him behind of a quite fatigued defence. Um, and, and, it, and it worked. But obviously, he's found himself starting more now um, through injuries and such, and we played the lap more on what out wide, but now the lap's out for three months. You'd have to worry about him. And Connolly also is injured as well because he got concussed by the Norwich goalkeeper and conceded a foul. Oh, for so it. he did. That's right. Yeah, so he did. Mm. He got he wiped out um, by Angus Gunn, didn't he? That's right. And got mm-hmm. for yeah. Away the free yeah, he did in the process. Yeah. But I think you no, know, like don't get me wrong. Like you'll know better the players that can damage us. But I think we've seen enough from Hull last season um, in terms of the four four game. And we've seen enough, I think, on Boxing Day, even when you weren't at top form, to know that there's players that that can damage us. Um, I'm pleased your best player's not fit. I'm pleased, in my opinion, your second best player's also injured. So there's positives <laughs> for that. But we played Ipswich last week and, you know, someone who's massively important to them and their striker was injured and the captain was suspended in Morsi. So this will be us. Um, yeah. I think the championship's just a mental league. Anyone can beat anyone. I genuinely don't know what's going to turn up with someone sometimes. And I think... 
Um, I hope the good version turns up, but I, I don't know what to expect. Mm. Uh, so tell City fans um, what what players we should be looking out for for, for Sunderland. Who 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 your danger men? Obviously, I think Clark is going to obviously be mentioned, but who who else is um, quite a threat? There's a guy in the left wing. I can't remember his name. Uh, Jack, 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 Jack. Yeah, Jack Clark. He's quite. He's he's been okay this season. He's done quite well. Um, look, Clark is terrific. Um, I think what you've seen from him at Hull in terms of his goal, that's just Clark you down to a T for me. Um, he's an outstanding footballer. Just keeps getting better and better and better. Sort of game on game, not just month on month. Game on game. Um, if only he had a centre-forward that he could pass the ball to, that'd be great. I think Alex Pritchard's had an excellent season this year. He's been hugely important when he's played because he's been the backbone of experience. Um, he's a very talented player in any way. And I feel like with Pritch, this season's been his best season that he's had. And it's been the season when he's been linked with the move away most. Um, mm-hmm. Whether that goes hand in hand, I don't know. Whether it's a bit of an F you to the board if they are trying to get rid of him and whether he's just on good form um i don't know outside of that i'm a huge huge fan of dan ballard and trey hume uh trey's not been that great recently to be honest Um he was really poor in the derby but god it's going to pain me to say that that anthony gordon's not a bad player um <laughs> very very ugly but not a bad footballer um <laughs> and he was poor in that game but Trey's excellent. Trey's been one of those players that you kind of brought from Ireland and thought in League One and thought, we'll see what he's like, came in, didn't look that great, and then suddenly just played really well. Uh, we love him. Big, big fan. Um, Dan Bollard is an excellent, excellent defender who I think is Premier League um, bound in time. But for me, there's just one player that stands up above all the rest, and I include Jack Clark and that, Dan Neal. I think he's an absolutely mm-hmm. different gravy. Um there was links to Liverpool to him in the summer and some people were shocked. I'm not shocked in any way, shape, size or form. Um, the day he I'm leaves... A huge, I'm a huge, huge fan of Daniel. I think, brilliant. I feel like... And, it, and it's quite bizarre because I see quite a lot of people online and, and, and don't think he's that good. But I think on the ball, um, I think how he, how he can run a game and, and, and dictate the tempo. He, on his day, he runs the midfield completely. Yeah. Um, I, for me, like I would have him in our team, absolutely. I think I'd have him um, you know, I'd put him in there in the Serie and, and, and Tyler Martin bracket, absolutely. The, he's, he's, he's a really, really good player. And I think um, he'll be one, probably, that it's weird as well because there doesn't seem to be that many rumours about him leaving. Um, and it's looking like you, you're probably going to hold on to him for quite a while. But no, yeah, I'm a big fan of Daniel. I, I kind of, I, I like the fact that he probably doesn't, but I like the fact that not enough people recognise his talents and his quality because he's got a contract with, I think, 26, 27. So if he was to sell him, we could ask for big money. And I don't know what scouts in the Premier League are looking at, um, but how no one else has made more moves for him. But there's, there's gradually getting more rumours of big Premier League clubs coming in for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a Sunderland fan. He's from near where um, obviously most of us were born. That helps. So he gives his all on the pitch. Um, for me, in the Newcastle game, when a lot of our players looked absolutely outclassed, as maybe as maybe you should expect from a team that has spent as much money as Newcastle has and are of the quality of that team. I will wash myself after I've said that in a moment. Um, <laughs> Daniel stood out as a player that was, it didn't bother him. And he was up against, you know, a midfield that cost £100 million um, mm. in Bruno and, and Joe Linton. 
I think he's a wonderful footballer. I really hope that no one's really listening to this at this point because of how good he is. <laughs> and they might think, oh, hang on, I might look at him. Um, for me, and this is not going to be a popular opinion, but I would sell Jack Clark 10 times over to keep Daniel. Mm, very interesting. Does he get does he get many assists then? Because obviously Jack Clark, you, that would be seen as quite an outlandish statement because obviously the amount of goals yeah. that Jack Clark scores. But Dan Neal... He's getting better. Yeah, he's getting better at it. I think, you know, last season there was points when I felt like he could have done a bit more in those positions. But the thing that's good about Dan Neal is that year on year, month on month, he grows and grows and grows. Um, I was just looking at his stats there to be 100% correct with this. He's got seven goal contributions in 26 games. That's four goals, three assists. Um, if anyone wants to see his goal against Norwich, the ball from Jack Clark is tremendous, but the finish, like a little chip over the goalkeeper when he's got about a second to think about it, just a silly footballer. Um, there is some people that don't rate him. I said to you yesterday, there's a certain scene that I have. There's people who know a lot about football and rate Daniel, and there's people that just don't know about football. <laughs> um, and for me, Daniel's by far our best. Um, and I hope he stays here forever, but that's not going to happen. Okay. Um, I believe we've probably covered about as much as we possibly can. It's been a really good chat, Graham. Thanks for coming on. Um, oh, before I go, though, um, I do have to ask you for a score prediction. And obviously on yesterday's, I believe you said 2-1 to us. Um, is that changing or are you going to keep it the same? I'm going to change it. And it's based mm -hmm. on the conversation you had before. I'm going to agree with you on what you said on my podcast. I've changed it to 1-1. Mm. We're pretty Seems good at home. But it's going to be an uninspiring 1-1 where you score after like 20 minutes and then we just fought about for the next 70 minutes and then Jack Clark Yeah. One <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah I mean, with us, it's... We we don't tend to we, we we we're terrible at keeping clean sheets this season, which is a real shame because last season we were so strong defensively under Rosinia. Um I think the fact that we've not had a natural left back for a long time and um wingers constantly changing and playing midfielders out there, so there's not a lot of support for whoever plays in the fullback positions, um, has had a lot to do with it. But we we just don't keep clean sheets. So I'm never never really convinced of that we'll nil anybody. But we do tend to score in games. Um, even if we lose, we've, we've usually scored. So one-one just seems like the safe bet at the minute. <laughs> both, both clubs not really in the in the best place form-wise or, or anything. So um, yeah, I feel like one-one's probably the safe bet. There's a couple of comments. It's on Sky as well, which I think means it'll be a crap game in one-one. Oh, we well, we, we don't usually. I mean, there's a few people tell me off for saying this, but when I hate it when we're on Sky because we usually lose. Um, the big games, yeah. uh, you play on finals and things like that. We usually tend to do quite well on the telly, but normal championship games on a Friday night or midweek, nah, we, we we don't tend to do very well. Uh, one to leave away, we've had a 2 1 hole from a Sunderland fan. Um, really enjoy this podcast. Hole one of your favorite winners. Oh, thank you. Thanks for coming on, everybody who's been commenting tonight. Uh, thank you. Obviously, it's been a been a nice long preview, it's been a really good one, though. I hope everybody's enjoyed um, me being on and not Nathaniel for a change. Uh, I hope Before the final's I leave. watching. I have to yep. say something, and I have to do this on behalf of my mate, and this just came into my mind here. So yep. we went to hall with my friend Jordan, um, who is a wonderful hyper man. Um, and when we scored, he decided it would be a great idea to whip his shirt off, swing it around his head. And he started, mm -hmm. like, in a very nice way, putting the shirt on top of um, some of the stewards to be able to celebrate and have fun and do what he was doing. Because he had one or two, it was Christmas. And... He did this with his shirt over one of the stewards and the steward went, I don't want your shirt. And then she said, and I 
I quote this. She said, I want to see what it's like when it's all off. And my friend fell in love with a Stuart on Boxing Day, <laughs> but we never got a name. So if you're listening, Stuart, if you are a Hull City fan that likes podcasts, Jordan would potentially like to marry you. I don't know. We huh? could get a blossoming romance before February the 14th. Um, just let Ant know your name and I'll, I'll arrange it. Just, just, yeah, just, just drop us a DM, anything, yeah. matchmaking on an opposition preview, a first, an absolute first, if it works. <laughs> and yeah, the wise men say, we mentioned this on your podcast yesterday, We, I mean, it's one of those, I mean, City fans listening, it, for me personally, like I said to Graham yesterday, it's one of those where I'll sing it when we do, absolutely, um, but personally, I'd like something that's original and as not share the same song with about three or four different clubs um, in the country, not let alone the league. I think Huddersfield sing it as well. I think it's just a bit mad. Um, I, mean, I, said to you, I said to you yesterday, didn't I? imagine if we both got to the playoff final, um, we're both <laughs> playing the same song. It's just, it, 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 it's Nash a bit strange. Wise men say back to back. <laughs> yeah, twice. I mean, maybe they mix it up and one does the Elvis version and one does the UB40. Uh, I don't yes. know. It's, I'd like the um, the more upbeat one. I think that should be the one we play. But mm. yeah, anyways, cheers for uh, joining me tonight, Graham. Um, it's fantastic Sunderland mm. podcast. If anybody wants to listen to it, I'll put all these links um, for his Twitter and his YouTube channel below. So anybody that wants to give him a follow or anything, please do. He's a great laugh. Um, and it, what was your score prediction in the end? 1-1? One, one. I think that's why I remember for as well. Yeah. Cheers to anybody that's been commenting. It's, uh, we've got a lot of Sunderland fans in tonight. It's been a joy as well. Um, I've been Ant. This is the To Hold Back podcast, sponsored by Old Zoological Bar and Kingfisher Fish and Chips. And we will hopefully be speaking about a rather positive result uh, next time out on our main episode on the weekend. Cheers for uh, listening, and we'll see you next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.